You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. The White Sox are winning games. It's exciting. And if they can get a bloop and uh, a blip and a single here and a couple of walks and then another blip and a bloop and a blast, much like Ed Farmer, God rest his soul, used to say all the time, maybe they can get back into it. They just need to win, like, I don't know, another 10 or 11 games in a row for me to get excited. Well, it, uh, that's all it is, really, right? They just need to go on a <laughs> massive, damn near historical winning streak, and right. uh, we'll be right back in this thing. I'll be all in again. Right now, I'm just enjoying the the wins. I think it's kind of been a fun week if you take the games at face value. And I'm also curious as to whether or not some of the things that I'm witnessing right now will continue. And namely, that is Pedro managing his bullpen differently. You got rid of Diekman. Kelly goes on the paternity list. Some of the problems have not been marched out there at the end of games. What did we see at the end of the game on Wednesday? Kenyon Middleton. We saw Middleton. We saw Santos getting him there. Yeah. Now, now neither one of these guys are tearing it up in terms of my favorite stat, which is whip, walks and hits per innings pitch. They're still putting more guys on than I would like overall on the season, but how they're used and how a relief pitcher is used can really impact what his results are. And normally you would say, well, here are my high price guys. Here's the guy I traded for in Diekman. Here are the people who are supposed to be here at the end. And it seemed as though they were just being forced in there, even though they were getting no results. There was accountability in the bullpen this week, mainly because some pieces were taken out of the equation. But what happens when Joe Kelly walks back in the door? Will it be the hot hand in the bullpen, or will it be what was expected of you, what your name is, what your legacy is, what your dollar amount is attached to your name? That's what I'm very curious about. Well, and I I do tend to think that most good managers will start a season with the the latter. Okay, they will sit there and say, these are the high-priced guys, these are the guys that are coming into the season based on their baseball cards, based on their contracts, based on who they are in terms of their profile of what they're expected to be are the guys that I'm going to put in the high leverage situations. But the good ones will adjust on the fly and will sit there and say that, no, I'm going to start using this guy in a way that makes much more sense for the bullpen, you know, and much more sense for what they're producing and much more sense for how I can best get the other team out. And if you think back to 2005 and what Ozzy did walking into the season, for example, Dustin Hermanson was expected to be kind of a swingman, right? He was never really expected to close games. Right. Your closer was Shingo Takatsu with the Mr. gong Zero. noise as he yeah. came walking out. Yeah. And and you had guys like Cliff Polite and Neil Kotz who were not necessarily expected to be the lockdown setup guys, but they were all supposed to be, you know, let's figure this out. So Hermanson goes from being a potential swing guy, a fifth starter, a long reliever to your closer for a good chunk of the season. And it's because he just started getting guys out, and that's what he was going to be used for, and Ozzy trusted him at the end of games because Shingo was not getting it done. So I think you will probably see, assuming Pedro is a good manager, and I'm still going to to hold out hope that that is the case. Assuming Pedro is a good manager, I think you're going to continue to see him ride 
the the hot hand and put the guys in positions where he thinks that they are going to succeed. And so when Joe Kelly comes back, I think Joe Kelly is going to be a low leverage reliever until he shows otherwise. And I think you're going to start seeing him use the hot hand in the higher leverage situations. And then you're going to get Liam Hendricks back and you're going to get Garrett Crochet back. And it seems like sooner rather than later. And then it's up to the general manager to give Pedro the tools in the toolbox he wants. You know, you can't take away the guys that don't have the big high price tags because you've got to keep a guy around who isn't performing, who you thought was going to be a part of everything. Give the manager what he needs. And that's also important as we look ahead. Uh, Liam Hendricks, by the way, incredible story. I mean, he beats all the odds when it comes to how quickly he was coming back. And we talked about how long it's taken for other players who have dealt with the same kind of cancer to get back and start playing and how long his treatment was probably going to take. If you would have told me he was going to be back before the All-Star break, I would have said wishful thinking. He, he's on a rehab assignment. I mean, that's incredible. Congratulations to him. Uh, just an amazing story for this season. As this team starts to stack wins and plays baseball, and let's not even think about you know them doing something historical and getting back into it. Let's just think about a day at the ballpark. You know, cork and carry at the park. You should be there pregame. Bring the family over. Feed them. Great food. Great price. Amazing ballpark favorites. You don't have to search around a stadium to find what you want. Just check out that menu. All kinds of craft beers. Familiar favorites. Spirits. Wines. Post game, get over there and either commiserate or celebrate with fellow Sox fans. Let the parking lot empty out a little bit. Why fight traffic? Get over to Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton, the official home of the podcast for fans by fans, Sox in the basement. It's interesting that you bring up that 05 bullpen, and I don't feel bad bringing that up because we're always talking about how this White Sox team should be in their window and challenging for championships. And the only thing we can really fall back on in the 40 years of Jerry Reinsdorf being the owner of the team is that one magical season when they made a World Series, because they never made a World Series otherwise. In fact, they never really, there were a couple of times you had some hope in the 40 years that he's been owner, but it was fleeting. Most of the time, you don't get to look at what it what it's like to be a championship team. What's most interesting about that 05 team is the bullpen that you just brought up. The the manager went with the hot hand. They they weren't using high-priced guys in the bullpen. You know, Bobby Jenks came out of a field and was started, I want to say, right at the beginning of July against the Mariners. I was at that game. Remember Lou Pinella turning around and yeah, I was I was right on the dugout that game for his for his premiere. My beer sitting on the dugout, those magical seats where you get to put your beer on the top of the dugout, you know, and Lou Pinella standing up at the top of the dugout. He throws his first two pitches and turns around and goes, who the F is this guy into his dugout? And then he looks at the crowd and starts laughing like, where'd you find this guy? He just looks right at us while we're sitting there and we're all shrugging like, I don't know, <laughs> like like that. He just he just appeared. Right, exactly. And, and Ozzy was never afraid to say this guy's hot and this guy's not. Tommaso Marte pitched very well for a long amount of time during that season. But when he started to falter, Ozzy stopped going to him. He understood that this is not the time for him to break back out again. If he's down, I don't trust him. He was a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately manager 
when it was necessary to be a what have you done for me lately manager. I There are a lot of problems with Ozzie Guillen as a manager in the back end of his career when he was managing the White Sox. You know, there were the, his his kids were involved in things in the media and there was infighting going on. He and Williams were not getting along with the personnel. He would take a guy and sit him out there and let him die because he was mad that Kenny had put him on him. And there there was a there was a lot of egos in at play and it eventually didn't work out. But when he was at his best, he did what you want a manager to do, especially with the bullpen. And that's what I want from Pedro. I want him to sit there and say, this guy's hot. This guy showed me something. I trust him and not worry about the what the player cost to get there and what his expectations were at the beginning of the year. I see that with the bullpen. It makes me feel good. When I look at the lineup, though, and I see Jake Berger batting eighth this week, I mean, I'm glad they're winning games because otherwise I'd be screaming about it. I'd be asking, where's Adam Hazley, who, when you gave him an opportunity, did nothing but show you he was ready to go. And yet you're still kind of throwing guys in there that haven't proven very much to you in the time that you've been a manager. Right now they're winning, right? Right now they're getting just enough runs to win baseball games. And so that's exciting. And I get it. You don't want to mess with your your lineup. If, If you had something working, just send the same guys out there because it's been such a frustrating season. But I am still waiting for accountability when it comes to his position players and how he sets his lineup. The bullpen is the first good sign, but the reason that I'm afraid that he'll regress is because I haven't seen the same thing with his lineup. Yeah, but you know what? There's there is if you if you think about baseball seasons past and and when you've witnessed this, and it's not something that that I think as fans we sort of actively look at, but managers will tend to to do this first with the bullpen, right? They'll they'll get into the season, they'll get part of the way into the season. We're just into May. And they'll start sitting there going, this guy's got it this year. This guy doesn't have it this year. This guy's worthless to me. This guy can go. This guy can stay. I need this help. The bullpen's the first part where they do that. The second part where they tend to do that, I think, comes into the starting rotation, right? I think it it follows pitching first. So if you've got a fifth starter who's not doing it, and if you play fantasy baseball, you can watch this too. Guys getting sent up and down, prospects getting called up now that we're about a month into it to try and their hand at it. You, your your lesser pitchers, the guys that are less established, get the boot first, and they get they have the shortest leash, and they get the quickest hook. And then you get into the lineup, but it's only going to be the guys to start off with that are in positions where they were not necessarily written in in ink the way, for example, Aloy Jimenez was written in in ink in the lineup, even though he hasn't hit very well, or Luis Robert Jr. is written in ink into the center field position, even though he has not been hitting very well, hadn't been playing very well. Those guys, I think, have a longer hook and are going to be the last to lose their jobs during the season. So the fact that we've got Pedro and we've got Rick Hahn probably through Pedro, hopefully, making all these wholesale changes in the bullpen. We've got Pedro using guys who are hot, ignoring contracts, ignoring status, ignoring you know profile to start the season and just going with who he feels is confident can get the outs in that moment in that game. I think that's when we're going to start to see now, you know, the next thing we've talked about, Michael Kopech not being able to get through the lineup more than once or twice. How short of a leash is he on? How short of a leash is, is Lance Lynn have if he continues to not be effective in any way, shape, or form? I think you're going to start to see that. That makes sense. Meanwhile, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for this big party going on on Saturday. My youngest, Nick, is having his first communion. Uh, my wife is running around. Uh, just crazy at this moment 
trying to get everything ready for guests. And, and she's not just cleaning the house, right? She's not just giving out list of things to do to the teenagers. She's walking around saying things like, we really should paint these walls. And I'm like, we don't have time to paint the walls. Saturday's the party. It's over. The house is what it is. She's like, we should change the windows. Are you, we can't do it that quickly. Now, on the other hand, if she would have come to me maybe a month or so ago and she would have said, I want to change the windows in the house. I would have gone to window and door superstore of Oak Forest. Exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors, and there's no high-pressure sales. Nobody be sitting in her kitchen, feet up on the chair, telling you if you don't take the deal they're giving you right now, they're never going to be able to offer it again. That's ridiculous. Instead, you go into their showroom. You see full examples, glass designs on display. Forget pictures in a book. See it in person. The owner is in the showroom. There's an owner at the site. All window and door superstore installers, they don't farm out the work. This is how they've been doing it for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands, and they're going to custom make it. No stock items. That way you get a perfect fit. They are a half block east of 159th in Ridgeland, and they want you to stop in and see what they have to offer. Make window and door superstore of Oak Forest your first stop at 6280 159th Street I think it'll end up being your only stop. See more windowdooroakforest.com. Joining me on the phone line right now, Blake Schuster. He is the assistant managing editor for For the Win over at USA Today. How are you, Blake? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on because I would imagine that you're a little sought after because you put a little uh, Twitter string together the other day that confirmed everything that those of us who don't like Jerry Reinsdorf and say that he doesn't care about the team and that there really isn't any hope until he leaves Chicago and somebody else owns the team. What you put out there kind of backed it up for all of us out there. Uh, What did you think about the response, first of all, to just a simple Twitter thread with comments from the owner of the White Sox? Uh, I didn't think it would blow up as much as it did. I feel like Sox fans in particular were going to want to pay attention to it. Um, I mean, Jerry never speaks. I mean, we, how often do we ever know when he's going to come out and talk? So for him to really, you know, get on stage and stand his ground the way he did, I, I had a feeling uh, he wasn't as in touch with the fan base as, uh, as he might expect that he was. But yeah, I mean, it, it really did blow up and I'm, I'm glad it got out there because, you know, this is clearly how he feels and how he's running the team. It's just, it's not in line with, with what reality is. That's not the team on the field is what he's talking about. Um, It seems like a lot of fans are upset with him for all the right reasons. (laughs) There's there's a lot of reasons you can be upset with an owner, but uh, he kind of confirmed all of that right there. So explain everybody what this conference was that he was at and, you know, the context of what he was talking about. He's up there talking about the business of baseball. Is that how this went down? Yeah. So it was a conference in uh, Beverly Hills. Um, with a, a bunch of, you know, big media tycoons. And the panel he was on was Game Changers talking about the, the business of sports. Um, so he's up there with Rachel Nichols is, is hosting the panel. Um, there's a couple, um, you know, owners from different leagues, you know, some soccer leagues. And Jerry is, is very much the big draw. And they, they kept bringing the conversation back to him. Um, I actually had gotten tipped off from someone who was in the room that Jerry was there and was saying things that just do not align with where the socks are right now. Um, so that's when I, I ran back and started trying to find video and 
thankfully it was online. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he knew they were recording that when they did that, but yeah. Um, once, once I saw the video, I, I didn't think anyone was going to want to watch him spew garbage for an hour and a half, but I was happy to go through it and, and collect quotes. Well, that's the amazing thing. I, I don't believe that he understands that if he's out in Beverly Hills and he's speaking in front of a room that somebody's going to report on what he says. Like, because it's such an odd time for him to make comments like, you know, just kind of keeping the race. And as long as you, even if you finish up in second or third or fourth, as long as the fans think that you're close, that's a successful season, you know, in the middle of a massive losing streak, when people have their pitchforks and their torches and they're chanting, sell the team at the ballpark, he seems to be completely oblivious to the idea that people are going to listen to the words he's saying that day. And based on what I heard from in the room, I, I don't even think the people in there were buying it because, like you're saying, they knew the team was on a losing streak. They know the Bulls haven't won in forever. They know the White Sox haven't won in forever. And everything that he's saying about, uh, you know, you got to trust your guys in the baseball office to do this, we know that's not true because he hired Tony LaRusso. He forced, you know, Rick Hahn's hand there. Um, it, it just really did not add up. And it felt like he was really talking to himself just to comfort himself and, you know, He's the guy with the microphones and he's the one who's correct. And the only person he has to make happy is himself. But we know none of that's true. We know that he was up there blatantly telling us the opposite of what our eyes are seeing. It, it, you know, it's the classic, don't believe your eyes. Listen to what I'm saying. Do you feel that he, at this point, has made it almost impossible for White Sox public relations and those within the organization who sit there and say things like, nobody wants to win more than Jerry Reinstorf, nobody wants it more than the chairman. Has he made it basically impossible for them to continue to say those things? Because he kind of backed up. In fact, he, he really did back up. Something that David Sampson said once before that Jerry Reinstorf told him, which was, if you're finishing in second place, if they always have that carrot, that's, that's even better than winning a championship. That's success right there. Samson actually came on this show about a year ago and repeated it. And, and, and the White Sox denied it like crazy. But here he is in front of a group of people basically saying the same thing. And, you know, I, I think there's a part of Jerry that thinks that both are true. I, I think there's a part of him that feels that no one wants to win more than him. But, you know, if you finish in second or third, you had a good year. Um, and I, to say, you know, as long as you're competing in the final month of the season, how often have the Sox done that in the last two decades? Four or five times that there's actually been meaningful September baseball games here? I mean, you can throw the rebuild in there and say, you know, discount those years, but those are still teams that White Sox fans had to suffer through. Um, I, I just, I think he wants to have it both ways. I think he knows the business side of things, as long as you're competitive, fans are going to come out. But I also think he knows that he's not going to overspend to make sure that that happens. Um, it, you know, Samson must be feeling some some great vindication today because that that really just it, it took it over the top. It's it's everything that Sox fans didn't want to believe was true that he just backed up. And like you said, to put out such a forceful statement, I don't think if you're in White Sox PR, you really want to do that or attach your name to that anymore. If the owner is just going to come out and contradict everything you're saying. At this point, after the Tony La Russa saga, after everything else, I think you have to take what the White Sox are saying with a large grain of salt and, and really figure out who the messaging is coming from and, and who it's for. It's not for Sox fans right now because they can see what's on the field. It's, it's purely public relations for everyone else in baseball. Blake Schuster and every guest here on Sox in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure 
visit the village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. I see a big barbecue fest on their calendar right now. Coming up this weekend, there's a historical tour of Lamont that looks to be a lot of fun. Visit LamontDowntown.com and see what you want to go do. Do you look at Jerry as a guy who's aware of what he's doing and what he's saying and he just doesn't care because he's a billionaire? Or he is he so out of touch that he's in some sort of fantasy world? I think he's out of touch with the culture he has created with the team. Um, it, one of the quotes that really, you know, kind of pissed me off was Ken Williams saying that accountability isn't an issue there. And <laughs> Kenny Williams has been with the White Sox since 2000 and either as GM or executive vice president, there are only five GMs or presidents in all four major professional sports who have been in their position longer than Kenny Williams has. Do you know who they are? It's Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. Bill Belichick, who will probably go down as the greatest coach in NFL history, Pat Riley with the Heat, Greg Popovich with the Spurs, and David Poyle with the Nashville Predators, who basically is Nashville hockey. He you know, has gotten that franchise off the ground and, and to where they are now. Kenny Williams does not fit on that list. So <laughs> it, 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 He thinks he does, though. Right, but if you're saying that accountability is not an issue here, but you're the guy who's on that list and you're the weakest resume on that list. It is tough to really back up anything that they're saying that accountability matters. I don't think it does. I don't expect them to resign, but I also don't think Jerry's going to go out and fire them because he's got his guys and he knows that he can control them in the way that he enjoys, that he can shut them down when he needs to. He feels very comfortable in his position and there's no reason for him to change that because at the end of the day, He's the owner. It's it's about him. It's about what he wants. He's enjoying the way things are now. Whatever, you know, White Sox fans care about, that's not his issue. Blake Schuster writes for For the Win, uh, USA Today Sports. Uh, first time on Sox in the Basement. We'll have to have you back again. Thank you so much, for, uh, Blake, for jumping on and, and just breaking this down for us. Uh, as, as I think, like... I think there's a generation of fans who have accepted that this is what it was for a long time. And then I think there's a generation of fans who believed that it was different and are really getting their eyes opened uh, over over the last uh, couple of years and the last couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Andrew Benintendi's a ball player. Yes. Right? Like, even if he is struggling at one thing, he's a gamer ball player. 
You can tell that he came up in a different organization and went through several of them that know how to do things correctly and know how to player develop and know how to teach a style of baseball and show a level of intelligence because he knows when to do the right thing, when to do the little things out there. He's jumping over walls. He gets that big hit for the walk-off. He doesn't try to do too much. He just goes or where the pitch is and takes it to, and just, he just very simply does what his job is. He lays down the bunt the other night for the base hit. And I know that drives people nuts who hate bunting, but you know, it's a real thing that can be employed in the, in the proper instance successfully. He, he does just all these little things that you wish that every ball player on your team did. And, and I think that it, it continues to show the, the biggest problem with this White Sox team is that there's no, they, they don't, they don't finish the player. It's like they get the rough diamond. You go, man, that's a ginormous rock that we just pulled out of this mine or that we traded for because we don't really find a lot of big, giant, shiny rocks in our We don't mine. know where the diamond mines are. We just sort of trip over things on accident. We look at like another mine and they've got all these shiny, unpolished rocks over there, right? And then we go, which one is the best one? And they go, well, there's these published lists online from all these experts. And they go, well, give me the one that's up at the top. All right, well, we'll take one of your best players. I'm a genius. I went and got this unpolished rock. And instead, what we do is we just take the unpolished rock and just stick it right there and put it on display for sale. We don't polish it. We don't cut it. We don't, we don't, we don't No, make, they, they just have the sod father hose it off. Right. Exactly. We, then, just, we just throw a garden hose over that, that thing that just got pulled out of the ground and we don't actually finish it, you know? And then you watch a guy like Benintendi, who's a finished ball player who may not be perfect in every way. He's not, you know, he's not a hall of famer for crying out loud, but he's a, he's a ball player. And we've been fortunate in this last week that his, his efforts have not gone wasted. And, and that's the thing. You, you hope that that rubs off on some of the other guys on the team. And, you know, you bring in a guy like Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton is a terrible hitter. He's a terrible hitter. But he's fast and he's smart. And he played that perfectly when he went second to home. And I don't know anybody else on the team that can do that. Because he's good at one thing. Very, he's very good at one specific thing. He's got a particular set of skills and then he's got he's got a he's got a baseball brain. He made a smart play. And that's something that like when we see that as White Sox fans, we're in awe of because we don't see it enough, right? Like like Yankee Yankee fans see that on a daily basis. Rays fans see that on a daily basis. You know, high-end like Astros fans. Astros fans see that kind of baseball Every day, it's a different guy, but it's because of the way that they polish their stones and they get and and they get their team into a mindset. And and that maybe is the hardest thing for you know. I think White Sox fans to kind of wrap our mind around. Think about this: the White Sox were a mess coming out of the 2003 season. They had an inept manager that fell asleep in the dugout all the time, and they and and the talent that they had on a team looked good on paper, but didn't know how to work together as a team. And some of those stones were not polished. And Ozzie Guillen got to come in in 2004 and learn the team, figure out who he trusted, and then guys were moved for the pieces he wanted. And that created 05. What we're watching here is 
Pedro come walking in, and I don't know if he's Ozzy. I don't know if he's capable of that, and I don't know if the front office is capable of getting out of their own way and admitting mistakes and making such roster and lineup changes and organizational changes as they did between 04 and 05 in that offseason. When you saw big names that they had posters of all over the ballpark moved on for players that you were sitting there saying, why are we getting this guy? Because it was the right guy for what the manager needed. I don't know if they can get out of their way and do that anymore because because they're just so afraid of having egg on their face. But like, here we are. This really is the window. There isn't a lot of money next year and the owner isn't going to pony up more. He reduced payroll this year and he's got less people in the stands because of the start that you're off to. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if you're going to get a season where Pedro figures it out. They fall short, but in the offseason, there's massive changes made, and then all of a sudden, you get this improbable run. That's why it's improbable. I think that's the thing. The timing of Pedro coming in is a year too late, at least, for him to figure out what needs to be changed and then still change it within the current window. Well, and there's a couple things to pick apart there, too, because when you're talking about guys like Ben Benintendi who serve a specific purpose in a lineup— and guys like Billy Hamilton, who serve a specific purpose on the bench. Sox fans don't understand, I think, because we don't see it. This gets back to my point about a team not home-growing their own stars and not home-growing their own players. When the Rays have a guy that goes second to home, it's probably a guy that they've brought up and they've brought through their system because he's fast, and that's what they're going to use him for. And they're going to put him in a position where he is useful to them in that way. Kevin Kiermaier is a good example of that. The, the guy is really not a great hitter, but he was one of their most important players because he's a ridiculously good outfielder in, a, in an outfield that's really hard to play in, in the trap. So he's they, they bring these guys along and they do that. We see Billy Hamilton come into Sox fans. He's a name known to us. We immediately expect because we only get guys who are supposed to come in and do great things because when, when Jerry Reinsdorf gives us a player – when he lets his general manager go out and spend money, they're supposed to be amazing. People are still hung up on Andrew Benintendi having the richest contract in White Sox history. He was not given that contract because he's an all-star, a superstar player. He was given that contract because the White Sox don't give out the right amount of money to good players when they go into free agency. He's the richest contract in White Sox history because that's a joke. For White Sox fans, okay? That is something we should be ashamed of because Andrew Benintendi is worth that contract to 31 other teams in the majors. That is a a league average contract for a guy who is essentially a glue player and a role player in a lineup who is going to do the little things, who is going to be a Swiss Army knife and up and down the lineup for his manager, who is going to be the guy that does the intelligent stuff that you want and need to have on winning teams. But... We get hung up on he's supposed to be a superstar because we gave him more money than anybody else has ever been given because that's what happens with with the White Sox, right? You're, you're given Ken Griffey Jr., but you're given a shell of Ken Griffey Jr., but he's still Ken Griffey Jr. He's supposed to do Ken Griffey Jr. things. He's not supposed to be a guy that is really he's there because he's a better defensive outfielder than anything you have on the roster at that time, and he represents maybe a slightly better offensive weapon than anything you have on, the, on there. He's supposed to be an all-star, a superstar again. Yasmani Grandal is another example. He's supposed to be absolutely everything, and he's been productive as a White Sox player, even when he was having weird stats and weird at-bats and 
strange things were going on statistically with him. He's been a good player. He's just, he's an old catcher, so he gets hurt a lot. But because we don't get guys in, we don't get guys brought into this team who are free agents who are given the opportunity to basically sit there and make the team, or we don't see prospects come up who are fringe prospects that are supposed to fill a role. Every prospect that comes up is supposed to be great. We're, we're conditioned, I think, as White Sox fans to not understand what Andrew Benintendi means and why spending money on him is something that you just sort of do. The fact that, you know, we're looking at Billy Hamilton going, yeah, but Billy Hamilton can't hit. Right, exactly. Billy Hamilton can't hit. But you need a speedster on the on your bench in today's MLB because they made rule changes that make somebody with Billy Hamilton's one great skill, his legs, super important. And, and Sox fans, we should be happy to have him here because I guarantee you there's other teams that are looking at it going, I could really kind of use Billy Hamilton on my bench right now. It gets back to ownership. It gets back to what this team does and why it's so improbable that 2005 happens, why it's so improbable every time they make a playoff run. Because like you said, we're handed a bunch of uncut raw gems and we're told every guy that comes up is this uncut raw gem. And what you forget is you need chains to make these things into something useful. You need links like Andrew Benintendi. You need links like Billy Hamilton to make this happen. And when you just have a collection of uncut gems or gems that are cracked because they're old and are starting to fall apart, that you don't have anything coherent. You just have a pile of rocks. That's all it is. I like how you took my whole thing with the diamonds and then you just ran with it. That was great. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to I'm here to I'm here to polish your turds, Chris. I, I love it. I love it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.